This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg He explained there's two levels of teshuva, two levels of teshuva, of return, repentance, return. A lower level and a higher level. Lower level is that you have to fix, you have to correct, you have to mend something wrong. You did something wrong, you said something wrong, you thought something wrong, so you have to fix it, so you have to change. That's the lower level of teshuva. Higher level of teshuva is not that you are correcting something that's wrong. Teshuva literally means to return, to restore. Restore the soul back to the level that it was before the soul came into the body, into the human consciousness. The soul was united and with, with Hashem. So the soul suffers from a very deep existential angst. We feel anxious because we feel egotistical and self. We feel separate and apart. You know the uh, famous story, the, uh, the angel of death is an angel. And it came to God to complain, you know, he created me an angel of death. I'm very unpopular. So Shem says, I'm going to change your name. We're going to change your name to Satan. <laughs> he comes back, he says, I'm sorry, it's, uh, I'm not too popular, Satan. No, I like Satan. So God says, I'll change your name. I'll change your name to evil inclination. <laughs> he comes back the next day, evil. People hear the word evil, they're turned off. Hashem says, no problem. I'm going to change your name to self. And ever since, no one has ever given them any problem. Ego, self. Because that's really the root cause of ever, everything. The root cause of everything, it's not this detail, that detail, the other detail. It all comes from self, from I. If there's no I, then there's no I to get angry, and there's no I to get mad, there's no I, I to lose my temper, and there's no I that wants, I want to do something wrong. There's no I in the first place. There's no sense of self. There's no self-consciousness. If you're so connected and so plugged in and so tuned in with godliness, with Hashem, then, then there's no, you've addressed the problem at the root cause. So the soul suffers from this existential angst, the sense of self-separation of Hashem. And Teshuvah, the soul yearns to go back, to go back to its root, to go back to its source, the way it was before it entered into the body, before we were born, before it entered into the into, our, into human consciousness and this ego and sense of self and separation, he wants to become one with Hashem. That's a higher level of teshuvah. And this level of teshuvah comes, is, is, comes with joy. The, joy. the soul is joyful. It returns. It's coming home. And we learned in chapter 10, the first part of chapter 10, that how does the soul return back to Hashem? How does the soul, how do you come home? How do you return? By doing godly things. When you study Torah, you're becoming one with Hashem. Torah is God's mind. God and His Torah, God and His mind are inseparable. 
So when, you, when you're studying Torah, doing a mitzvah, you're doing something divine, you're coming home. Because it's godly. You're doing something godly. And that's what motivates the soul to do Torah and mitzvah. That's why in ethics of our fathers, the expression is always first teshuva, one moment of teshuva and maizim toivim and good deeds. So the question is, why does he start out repentance and good deeds? First you do good deeds, and if you mess up, then you can do repentance and you can... Why does he first say teshuva and then good deeds? Because he's talking about the teshuva that leads you to do good deeds. This urge this sense of uh, existential angst that the soul suffers from, the only thing that can soothe the soul, the only thing that can soothe this pain is good deeds, which means specifically mitzvot, because a mitzvah is divine. Torah is divine. When you pray, you're talking to God. When you study Torah, God is talking to you, and your mind merges with the mind of God, of Hashem. When you do a mitzvah, you're touching the divine. So these are all godly things. But, he says, although Torah and mitzvot are essentially divine and they come from Hashem, but nevertheless, prayer is an essential ingredient. It's the central ingredient in the Jew's life. Of the three pillars that the world stands on, as it says in the beginning of Ethics of Our Fathers, is Torah, is on the right, Gemilut chasadim, kindness, is on the left. And what's the center? Avoda, which means service. In the temple, this was sacrifices. And the substitute today is prayer. Why is this the central theme of a Jew's life? It's also the central theme of the central book in the Torah. The third book of Leviticus is all about avoda, sacrifice. Prayer, which is substituted by prayer. Because prayer sacrifice represents from the bottom up our connecting with Hashem. And this is an essential ingredient in Judaism. Because, you know, the question is, classical question, the whole purpose of creation is that God wanted to reveal Himself, that He should be revealed, that Godliness should be revealed. So what's stopping God? God could do anything. Let Him reveal Himself. Who's stopping Him? <laughs> Why did He create a world? where he's concealed, and there's darkness, and there's confusion, and there's distortion, and we have to light it up. Why doesn't, and ultimately, what's going to be the ultimate? The world will be illuminated, the world will be lit up, lit up with godliness. So why do we have to go through this whole hassle? Why doesn't just God reveal himself and light up the world? And there should be clarity. And truth to be self-evident and transparent. It will be a Garden of Eden. The way the world once was and the way the world inevitably will be. When Mashiach comes, that's the ultimate, that's the goal. So who's stopping God? And the answer is, when God lights, uh, lights us up, when, it, when it's from the top down, it's like when the sun shines. The, the sun shines during the day, the world is lit up. But the world hasn't changed. The world on its own is dark. The proof is, when the sun is gone, when you can't see the sun, the world is plunged in darkness. It was lit up, 
But the light didn't come from us. The light came from outside of us. So as long as the light, as long as we see the light, fine. But when the light leaves, we are unchanged. So even when, it, even when it's lit, it's not really our light. It's a, we're receiving something from beyond us. But it's not us. And that's why it hasn't changed us and there's no staying power. The moment the light leaves, it's over. You know, when the teacher teaches us, again, the teacher is illuminating us. It's not really, it's not really us. It's not coming from within us. You have a good teacher and the teacher opens your mind and illuminates your mind and illuminates your soul and shows you how to look at things and shows you how to understand things. But again, it's something that comes from the outside. It's not really us. However, when we pray, when we seek, when we yearn, when it comes from the bottom up, when we seek out godliness, when we feel this existential angst, when we feel something gnawing away at us, something bothers us at the very core of our being, something unsettles us, there's a restlessness. We just can't accept reality at face value. We know, we sense that there's something deeper. And we yearn for godliness. And we want to do something godly, we want to speak godly, we want to think godly. Where does this come from? This proves that godliness is at the very core and essence of our being. It's not from the top down. It's coming from the bottom up. It's something that we yearn for. It's something that comes from the deepest part of our being. So that's why God created this whole world, this concealment and the darkness and the confusion and the chaos. And then... In the midst of all of this, we pray and we climb the ladder and we seek and we search and we yearn and we for godliness. This reveals the true core and essence of godliness. This is, very, this is truly the essence of our being. This is emes. This is real. So he says, even this higher level of teshuvah, which is all about connecting with Hashem, and restoring, returning the soul back to its original state without separation. How is this truly revealed that there's no separation between us and Hashem? There's a seamless connection between us and Hashem when it comes from within us. When we climb the ladder, when we pray and we search and we seek out. And we... So it's not enough. So that's why it's not just enough to study Torah and do mitzvah. The prayer and our seeking and yearning for godliness, this is an essential ingredient in this higher level of teshuvah. This reveals, this connects us and brings us back home. This shows us that we are truly at home. This is who we really are. This is our true home. This is what we're looking for. This is what we are really all about. It's not something that comes from the top down, from the outside. It comes from deep within us. This is home. This is who we really are. This is what we're really all about. This is what this world is all about. So this is the ultimate level of teshuvah. The ultimate level of teshuvah, the higher level of teshuvah is when it's expressed from within and therefore this is what motivates me. This is what motivates me to study Torah. Because I have this yearning, this deep-seated yearning and desire for godliness, that's why I want to study Torah, to connect, to be intimate with Hashem. 
That's why I do a mitzvah, because I want to touch the divine. And we left off in the middle of page 1100 that he, he says he, he must also perform all the mitzvot. Uh, the third paragraph. He must also perform all the mitzvot as it is written. He has sanctified us with his commandments. This sanctification has the same sense as in the phrase, you are sanctified unto me, i.e. separate from all others and wholly sanctified unto Hashem to the performance of his commandments. So again, it becomes very personal. I'm not just doing. It's not just something that I'm doing. It's not just an activity. It becomes personal. It becomes an experience. I'm doing a mitzvah because I am marrying God. When I'm doing the mitzvah, kiddushana comes from the word kiddushin, which is betrothal, which is marriage. It's an intimacy between me and God because I'm becoming one. I'm touching, being touched by the divine and touching the divine, I'm becoming one with Hashem. So it's deeply personal. And it connects me with Hashem. It's a connection. It's not just an activity. It's an experience. The mitzvah becomes an experience. Study, just like studying of Torah becomes an experience. I'm being intimate with Hashem. I'm doing something divine. The great holy Rabbi Yitzhak Bardich, the great Hasidic master, the night of Sukkot, all night he couldn't sleep because he couldn't wait to do the mitzvah of blessing the Lulav and the Esher. He's waited all year for this. He was so excited. He would be up all night studying the whole tractate Sukkah. And at the crack of dawn, so he was so eager and so excited to do the mitzvah that he forgot, he didn't pay attention. He didn't notice that the Esher was behind the glass cabinet door. So it was a see-through glass. He didn't realize. He was so excited. He put his hand right through the glass. Cut himself up. He didn't even notice he was bleeding. He was so absorbed and so excited about doing the mitzvah until his beetle, the guy came and said, Rebbe, you're bleeding. And could you imagine? With the mitzvah, you're so excited about doing the mitzvah. It becomes an experience. It's not just oh, yeah, another duty, another obligation. Okay, I have to do this and I have to do that. And I'm checking off the list. It's not duties and obligations. This is a life-sustaining. It's life-fulfilling. It's experiencing. I'm lighting the candle. My soul is being lit up. I'm shaking the lulav in the asterisk. I'm eating the matzah. I'm putting on the tefillin. I'm, I'm giving tzedakah. I'm, this is divine. This is godly. It's an experience. I come alive. So this is all a result of the prayer. It's only prayer is so central. You know, when the Rebbe would finish praying, and he would walk out. You can physically see. He was a changed person. You know, he would walk into shul one way. He would walk out, like rejuvenated, pun intended, invigorated. Walked with a, uh, you know, with a in a step. You can see a tra- recharged. It was praying. It was, it was an experience. And it tried to recharge our batteries. And now. A whole day, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to do a mitzvah. I'm eagerly waiting to do the mitzvah and to study the Torah. Because the every time I'm doing a mitzvah, I'm strengthening my relationship with Hashem. It's not just a ritual or custom. It's a connection. It's alive. It's real. It's so this is the, the root word of the word Kiddushanu. We say it, we say it every, every blessing, every mitzvah. Baruch atah Hashem, blessed are you God, Hashem, you sanctified us, don't even pay attention. But Kiddushanu, the Alter Rebbe says, what's the root? What's going on here? What's the essence? Kiddushanu, it's a marriage. I'm being intimate. I'm being touching the divine. 
And not only am I touching the divine, what level of the divine am I touching? Continue. This is the level of Kodesh Ha'elyon, supernal holiness, which one draws upon himself to the performance of the mitzvot. Kodesh, translated holiness, connotes something apart or transcendent that cannot be contained within the created world, permeating each of them with divine life force commensurate with its particular captivity. I'm connecting with the divine, with Hashem, the way Hashem transcends the world, the universe, transcends the whole frame of reference of the universe. The way Hashem is separate and apart. Holy means literally separate and apart. Because there is the divine life force that is enclosed in every being, which fits and is customized for every being. That's like an internal light, as we learned many times. But this is the transcendent light. It's Hashem's infinite self. It's completely transcendent. And we can't touch it. But through the mitzvah, we touch and we become intimate with the essence of Hashem, Hashem's holiness, Hashem's transcendent self. So, because when you do the mitzvah, as he's going to explain, it's everything. Everything is considered as naught before him. Relative to this transcendent level, the different levels of spirituality of the various created beings are of no consequence. Yes, there is the light from within. The light of within is like the light from the sun. It senses that it's totally dependent on the sun. So we could have a sense of, and this is the sense of the angels, they do have a sense that they are dependent on God. I'm not an independent existence. There is no ego. Angels are angelic. They're heavenly. They're not egotistical. They sense that I am nothing other than God. I have no independent existence other than God. God is constantly creating me. And that's why they're holy. The angels are, are, are holy, angelic, spiritual beings. But... I'm still an existence. I'm an existence, a dependent existence. I'm not an independent existence. There's no ego separation. I'm a dependent existence. And that's why they're constantly praising God and constantly singing God's praises. And, and they're connected. But they are an existence. But, it, but when you speak of the transcendental level, the transcendent level of God, God's holiness, God's infinite self, then on that level, there is no existence. It's not that I'm a dependent existence. We simply don't exist. Our existence has no meaning and no consequence. And a human analogy to the world of intellect and the world of ideas, the sense of touch simply doesn't exist. You can't say, I grabbed the idea with my fingers. Over so deep, I couldn't grab it with my fingers. It doesn't exist. Touch means absolutely nothing has no consequence. It means absolutely nothing in the world of ideas. It simply doesn't exist. You know, two plus two is not red or not green or not yellow. <laughs> There's no connection. There's no relationship. It doesn't exist. Red, yellow, green doesn't exist in the world of two plus two is four, in the world of ideas. So multiply that infinite times. The difference between the separation, there's only five degrees of separation between the world of ideas and the world of touch. We have a sense of touch, and then we have a, a speech, and then we have thought, and we have emotions, and we have ideas. And that's the highest level of our world, of the, idea, the world of ideas. That's the highest level. There are only five degrees of separation. And yet we can understand that in the world of ideas, sense of touch simply has no consequence. It's as if it doesn't exist. It means nothing. Multiply that infinite times, the separation between us and God. Hashem is holy and infinite and so beyond us that our whole being 
has no consequence. It's as, it's as if it doesn't exist. It's not an illusion. It's not a maya like the Eastern mystics say. We're not an illusion. God creates us. But it, it has no consequence. It's as if it doesn't exist. It means nothing. And therefore we can't touch God. It's impossible for us to touch God no matter how long you meditate. You can meditate for a thousand years. Angels are meditating for thousands of years. They don't take any coffee breaks. <laughs> they don't sleep. They don't eat. 24-7, all they do is meditate and sit and praise. Imagine. And yet, they're not one iota closer to Hashem's infinite, holy, transcendent self. They have no access because there's an existence. And to God, they simply don't exist. Rather, this is a level of holiness that transcends and encompasses all worlds and hence affects them all equally from afar, so to speak. This is the level of supreme will and so on, which is drawn down into this world through the performance of mitzvot, as discussed in the first part of Tanya, Lugate Amarim, chapter 40. So the only revelation that we have of God's infinite transcendent self is His will. And that's why the giving of the Torah is called a gift and it's called a revelation. Because God revealed Himself. God revealed His will. This is what I want you to do. When God reveals His will, His will is Himself. So when you do a mitzvah and you're doing God's will, you're touching God's holiness, His essence, His, His transcendent self that completely transcends the whole universe, the whole frame of reference of the universe. And the whole universe simply doesn't exist in comparison to the, this transcendent infinite self. And yet, we can touch the divine. When a Jew does a mitzvah, you touch the divine. Kiddushanu, we're being intimate with God. We're connecting with the very essence of God. So when you realize this, and you understand this, and you grasp this concept, and you absorb this concept, you do the mitzvah with so much excitement, with so much joy, with so much passion. It's not an obligation. It's not a, a chore. It's a blessing. It's a gift. We thank Hashem. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. And then there are no hardships. Hardships? I would run through hoops. I would do anything to have this opportunity to touch the essence of God. The angels don't have this opportunity. We are the only ones in the whole universe where God revealed Himself, His will, Himself, and gave us 613 opportunities to touch His divine core and essence. Then you do the mitzvah with joy and passion. This is the higher level of teshuvah. The, the, the Torah mitzvah is permeated with a sense of mission of to returning and connecting and a sense of joy and it's uplifting. If the prayers will, we say, to you, O God, I lift my soul, referring to the initiative of the worshiper below in raising his soul upward towards its source, so that through the performance of mitzvot, spirit will cleave to the spirit throughout the day. All this is brought about through meditation on the grandeur of the infinite mind, concentrating the mind deeply during the two blessings preceding Shema, and during the preparatory hymns of praise known as Psuke de Zimra, as, as is known. Meditating in this fashion gives birth to a love of Hashem, which is translated into the study of the Torah and the mitzvot and the performance of mitzvot. This form of divine service is Chuba Ilya. It takes a direction called Milmata Lamala. It works its way upward from the initiative taken by the enterprising worshiper, who elevates himself by his own bootstrap. So all of this comes as a result of our prayer. So this is really the theme of prayer. The essence of prayer is much deeper, is much more than just asking for our needs. If prayer was just about asking for our needs, 
It will be a five-minute uh, five affair. Okay, maybe, maybe ten minutes. But why do we have to pray every day for an hour? What's the whole gedullah? Why, why do we... It's more, it's much deeper. It's much more than just about asking for our needs. It's not just a laundry list of needs. The essence of prayer is to actually achieve a level to love Hashem, to actually experience that love and to feel that love. And for that, you need time. That doesn't happen instantly. That takes time. How do you take a person who's naturally egotistical, selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed, how do you take, get that person to connect and to focus and to, and to sense and to feel and experience godliness and Hashem and a love for Hashem and a yearning and a hunger and a desire? It takes time. So that's the four-rung ladder, Jacob's ladder, which is uh, founded on the earth. And to climb from the earth to reach heaven, you have to go through steps. So these are the blessings before the Shema, and then the Shema, and then the Shema Nesri, and then you have before the blessings of the Shema, and then before Bar Shammah. It's four different levels. You're climbing, you're constantly climbing higher and higher until you reach the highest level, the ultimate level. So it's, it's, it's a change that comes from within. It's something that we strive and aspire and yearn as who we really are. Because it's only then that it's real. It's not coming from within us. It's not real. There has to be something inside of us. And when it comes from within you, then you know it's permanent. It's real. It's, it's, it's real. You know, this is not a fly-by-night. It's not a, a whim. You know, this is, this is who I am. It's with me all the time. And this comes from within me. So this is the higher level of Teshuvah, but it's the higher level of Teshuvah that's based on prayer on us climbing the land. But at the end of the day, this is the essence of prayer. And prayer is all about joy. It's a joyful experience. It's not a sad experience. It's a, the most joyful experience. I'm coming home. I'm returning home. It's a homecoming. A homecoming. I've been away, especially if you've been away for so long. There's no greater joy on both ends. Hashem can't wait to see us. He hasn't seen us in a while and we can't wait to see Hashem. So it's a joyful experience. So prayer itself is not a time of moroseness. It's not a time of bitterness. Prayer itself is, has to be besimcha, has to be joyful. Serve Hashem with joy. There's no room, when you're with Hashem, there's no room for anything but joy. When you're, when you're in the presence of the king, you have to be joyful. You're entering Hashem's presence, it's, it's joyful. The whole journey is joyful. You're climbing the ladder. You're connecting in a very real way. And then all day, as a result of the prayer, you eagerly wait, look forward to every opportunity you have to study Torah and to do a mitzvah and to do an act of goodness and kindness. It's all permeated with this joy. But in order to get to this joy, you need an introduction. First, you have to clean the house. <laughs> Before you invite the king to the palace, you have to make sure you're inviting the king to a palace and not to a dungeon. You can't bring the king to a schmutzika place. You can't bring the king to a dirty place. Could you imagine? The king is coming and the house is a mess. and It's not fit. It's not fit for human, especially not for the king. 
So before we invite the king in, we have to clean house. We have to take care of business. And that means getting rid of the schmutz. There's garbage, there's junk, there's dirt. It has to be scraped, it has to be scrubbed, it has to be cleaned. So before prayer, prayer itself is joyful. But before prayer, that's the time for a bitterness, for a little harsh medicine, for the lower level of teshuvah. I have to fix what needs to be fixed. I have to mend what needs to be mended. I can't bring the king to the house when the lights are broken and, <laughs> and this is not working and then the plumbing is off and the water is leaking. <laughs> you just can't. You can't. You have to take care of business. You have to make sure that everything is in order and everything is... So if my behavior is not okay, my action, my speech is not okay, and my thoughts are not okay, and thoughts could be just as damaging as speech. There's a person who zippers his mouth and doesn't say anything. But, he, but his thoughts, he's constantly bombarding everyone with such negativity. You can feel it. He doesn't have to say anything. It's just... Negativity, just, just look at his face, it's just written all over him. There's constant negativity and judgmentalness and everything is negative. And so thoughts could be just as damaging, if not more damaging, than speech and action. He's doing you a favor, he's just keeping it to himself. But, so a person has to fix his negative behavior, his negative speech, and his negative thoughts. Before you invite the king in, before you return to the palace, joyfully return to the palace. You have to take care of business. You have to fix what needs to be fixed. You have to bring it into the shop. <laughs> Car is not running. It's not running properly. It's making noise. The muffler is making noise and this is not working. <laughs> Before you decorate, you got to make sure that everything is working properly. So that's what he's going to explain now. And based on the Talmud, that before we reach this level, the higher level of Teshuvah, which is the soul of Teshuvah, first you have to do the lower level of Teshuvah. And it's impossible to reach the higher level of Teshuvah before you do the lower level of Teshuvah. Since prayer is an expression of Teshuvah Ilah, the higher level of return, it must be preceded by Teshuvah Tata. A lower level of return that is reached by the contriteness of a penitent heart. This is what the sages intended in the Mishnah. One should embark on worship only in an earnest frame of mind. Rashi explains this to me humility. This is the state of Teshuvah Tata. So the rabbis say, It is impossible. You cannot stand up to pray. You cannot really achieve what you're trying to achieve in prayer, which is the higher level of Teshuvah, which is a Teshuvah that comes with joy, unless first, first, before the prayer, you first embark on a lower level of Teshuvah. You have to humble yourself because What's the source of all negativity? Ego, arrogance. So unless you really feel humbled, then you can't really address. That's the core issue. 
And that's why it's imperative. Everyone has to go through this. You can't stand, to, you can't stand up to Davin unless first you feel that humility. Especially a person who feels he doesn't need it. I'm okay. <laughs> then you know he needs it more than anyone else. He's so arrogant. He's so clueless. I'm okay. I'm flying high. I'm dancing with the angels. Ay, 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 ay. They say uh, there's two pilots you should never fly with. The worst and the best. The worst for obvious reasons. The best pilot, because he's so cocky and overconfident, he's dangerous. He becomes reckless. When a person becomes so cocky and confident, I'm dancing with the angels and I'm okay. I'm, I don't have time for the small things. I'm, my head is in heaven. Run for the hills. <laughs> unless a person feels contriteness, unless a person feels humility, humbleness, is humble, then the person is clueless. That means a person is so arrogant, is so out of touch with reality that he literally becomes dangerous to himself and dangerous to everyone around him. So you can't stand up to Davin. You can't reach the higher level of Teshuvah. There's no other way, the rabbi says. There's no other way. Everyone needs this. Everyone. It doesn't matter if the tzaddik is davening or the simple Jew is davening. Everyone, before he davens, as it says in the Code of Jewish Law, before you daven, you have to think about the greatness of Hashem and you have to think about the lowliness of man. You have to humble yourself. Because unless you feel a contriteness in the heart, unless you feel a humility and a humbleness, a brokenheartedness, you're going nowhere. It's like, what's the first process if you want to grow anything? You want, to, you want to get a slice of bread, so first you got to grow the grain. What's the first thing you have to do before anything else? Dig a hole. Called plowing. You got to plow the ground. If you don't plow the ground, the ground is full of potential, but that potential is going nowhere. Unless you really plow the ground and crush the ground and plow the ground. We are ripe with potential. We are that garden. We have all this potential to give, to give forth this wonderful, wonderful product. But to get to that product, the first step is, and there's no other way. You can't skip the step. If you skip the plowing, you get nowhere. You can do everything else. Nothing will grow. First step is you got to plow. And you got to make sure that plowing is a good plowing. A little contriteness, a little broken heart. The Halik Ruzhin or the Holy Ruzhin or Rebbe, Rabbi Saul of Ruzhin, the great Hasidic master, once said, there's nothing more whole than a broken heart. <laughs> when the heart is broken... That's wonderful. Then the heart is working. Because all I'm breaking, I'm not talking about crushing. I'm crushing illusions. I'm crushing my foolish sense of self, my arrogance. When you crush that foolish illusions, self-delusions, then the real you, the humane you, the good you, could emerge and could surface. But as long as you're wrapped in this self-delusion, I'm okay, and I'm wonderful, and I'm complacent. Not only am I okay, and I'm wonderful, and I'm complacent. Today we reached a new level the world has never seen before. For thousands of years, to be educated mean, meant to learn to be uncomfortable with yourself. To aspire to change, to grow. To, not to be proud of who you are. To be proud of what you could become. Today we have a whole new educational system. Where we're instilling in children, robbing them of their spiritual potential, 
closing all the doors, closing the mind, closing all spiritual doors. Telling us, and not only do we have to be complacent with who we are, my foolish self, arrogant, delusional self, I have to be proud and I have to parade it in the streets. <laughs> I'm a chazer and I'm proud. I, this is mind-boggling. Nothing spiritual can grow from this type of attitude. To be able to have any spiritual movement, any maturity, any love, any real growth, true love, true growth, true living, true life. If you don't plow, if there's no contriteness, if there's no humility and humbling, and nothing will grow. And then foolishness parades as, I mean, it's, it's just, so this is the first step. The first step for spirituality, the first step to connect with Hashem, the first step. A person says, I'm a stone. I'm proud and I'm a stone and I'm not budging and I'm not moving and I'm not changing. And anyone who dares suggest that I could change or I should change is going to be arrested. How dare you accuse me? And I mean, it's, 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 this is a stone. What are you, a stone? A tree grows, anything organic grows. You stop growing. Not only you stop growing, you don't even allow the, the ability to grow. An animal roams around. That's a sign of life. You have movement. A human being imagines, changes, grows, challenges himself. We're not like animals. Animals reach puberty and their life is over. It's predictable. When mankind reaches puberty, bar mitzvah, bas mitzvah, our life opens up, our minds open up, life begins. Instead of celebrating an infantile, immature understanding of sexuality and then you, your life begins, you start growing and start... So without this step, you're going nowhere, you're stuck in neutral. There's no movement, there can't be any movement, there can't be any growth. So the rabbi said you cannot daven. You cannot begin to climb the ladder. You can't get to step one. You can't graduate kindergarten unless you have the step. First you have to have tshuva tata. The lower level is the tshuva. You have to plow the ground. A little brokenness. A little sense of inadequacy. A little sense of restlessness. A little sense of, I'm not okay. I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. I'm not smug. I'm not content the way I am. I'm proud of who I, I could become and I want to become, but not the way I am. The status quo is not acceptable. I have to move, I have to change, I have to grow, I have to challenge myself. So this is an essential ingredient. And that comes with a broken heart in a positive sense. All I'm breaking is I'm breaking the delusions, foolish, delusional sense of self, which doesn't do me any favors, sense of arrogance. Selfishness, self-centeredness, self-absorption. It's, you know, all it takes to block out the world is put your finger in front of your eyes and suddenly the whole world is dark. By plowing the field, I'm removing the finger from the eye and all of a sudden, what a beautiful world. I live in a different reality. All it took is a little brokenheartedness, a little, a little contriteness, a little openness to change. That's all it takes. But a person who never feels brokenhearted I'm okay and everything is wonderful and I'm, I'm, and I'm proud and I'm wonderful. That person is, is, is stuck. That person is going nowhere very fast.
It is the state of Teshuvah that that which one allows divine compassion for oneself, as noted above in chapter 7 and 8. This the Talmud infers from a phrase which states with regards to Chana. She was bitter of spirit and she prayed to God. So a lot of the things we learn about prayer, we learn from Chana. Chana prayed to have a child. She was childless and, and God blessed her with Shmuel the prophet. So, so it says she was bitter and she prayed to Hashem. So from this we learn that you can't stand up to pray unless first you reach a level of bitterness, of humility, of brokenheartedness. And that's the first step. That's the first step. That opens you up. Unless there's an opening, there's no, there's no ability to change. That opening, that creates the space. You have to create a space to grow. Our ego is relentless. I, 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 I. It doesn't stop 24-7. It's all about I, I, I. Unless you create a space, there's no room for growth. There's no room for change. There's no room for anything. It's too crowded. <laughs> yeah. I say an egotist is a self-made man who worships his creator. <laughs> Two egotists fight. It's an eye for an eye. There's a difference between ego, uh, soil and soul. Soil is an I and soul is a you. It's all about I. It's soil. It's nothing. Dirt. But if it's soul, it's about you, you can see another person. When a person is so crowded with himself, not only doesn't see God, he can't see another human being either. It's all about I. So there's no openness. You have to create a space. Without this bitterness, there's no, there's no space. That's why it says that Hashem thanked Moshe, the end of the Torah, the very last word. Hashem thanked Moshe for breaking the tablets. Why did, he, why did he thank him for breaking the tablets? The first set of tablets. Tablets that were miraculous. God created the stone and he etched the stone. It was, the whole thing was miraculous. And Moshe broke it because of the sin of the golden calf. And he had to go back up the mountain and pray again and then went up the mountain the third time. And on Yom Kippur he came down with a second set of tablets. Why would God thank him for breaking the tablets? Because when he broke the tablets, he broke, he shattered the Jewish people's heart. And the chef, they saw the tablets break, it broke their heart into a thousand pieces. And Hashem says, thank you. Because when the heart, the Jews were perfect, but too perfect. When you're too perfect, even if you're spiritual, but you're too perfect, everything is perfect, everything is... You, you're not a vessel. You can't receive Hashem. You can't receive the infinite. How, does, how can we receive the infinite? We're finite. When the heart is broken to a thousand pieces, now Hashem says, now you can receive the infinite. The second set of tablets had contained much more than the first set of tablets. Now you can contain way beyond your capacity. You can receive way beyond your limited. So even the greatest person, Hannah, she was a tzaddikus, a righteous woman. But she, before she prayed, she achieved the brokenness of heart. Because until you achieve a brokenness of heart, there's no opening. There's no space. There's no space for growth. There's no space for change. There's no space for movement. Then there's nothing you can do. But when a person, the heart is broken, mazel.
It's amazing. A person's heart is broken. Their humanity emerges. Suddenly you see a mensch in front of a person who's caring, who's sensitive. We become so arrogant and so selfish, so self-absorbed, that we become cruel, insensitive to other people. We say things that we regret. We think things that are just negative. But then the moment your heart is broken, you see that in times of crisis. Family members don't talk to each other. In times of crisis, and the heart is broken, all that nonsense just melts away. And suddenly, in that moment of truth, the love and the decency and the mental height and the goodness comes out. You see a mensch in front of you. Where were you? <laughs> I missed you. Where were you all these decades? But the eye, the eye is so relentless that it doesn't, it doesn't allow for that goodness to come out. So that's the space. That creates that space, that openness. And that's critical. Without that, you're going nowhere. You can't even start. It's a non-starter. At the same time, let's note the variety there. Our sages taught one should embark on worship only with joy. Thus, while the individual is to begin his preparation for prayer by achieving a state of bitterness of spirit, he is expected to begin his actual prayers in a state of... Okay. So prayer itself, the rabbis say, must be with joy. There is no other way. Prayer itself is an, is an experience of joy. It's a joyful experience. I'm returning home. I'm connecting with Hashem. It's a joyful experience. On the other hand, you just said that you can't pray unless first you achieve a contriteness of the heart, a bitterness, a broken heart. So what is it? And the answer is, it's not a contradiction. On the contrary. Before you start prayer, this is like the introduction. Without the introduction, you can't get started. The introduction is the brokenness of the heart. It's like plowing the field. If you don't plow the field, nothing will happen. So first they've got to plow the field. But it's not about the plowing. The plowing is just the preparation. Once the field is plowed, now I can go forward and plant the seed and water the seed and see it grow, etc. The point is the growth, the positive. It's not... Just crushing the ground. Crushing the ground is just a preparation. Preparation is critical. Without preparation, nothing happens. You know the artists, before they paint in the morning, first they play around for 10, 20 minutes with a brush. and they're, you know, they're just playing around. The writer who's writing, first he, just, you know, he's, he doesn't just sit down and start writing. He, first he plays around a little. Oh, we have a writer. How many books? 100 books he wrote already. First you play around, you patchka around, until you get the preparation is just as critical just to get you in the mindset. And just to, that mindset, that frame of mind is critical. That's, but that's just the preparation. Now you got rid of all the distractions and you clear the way. Now I can focus and concentrate on, on the writing and on whatever I'm doing. So the prayer itself is a joyful experience. But first you got to get rid of all the distractions. Put yourself in the frame of mind. Put yourself in the frame of mind. It has to come with bitterness and contriteness of heart. But the problem is, Alter Rebbe is going to say, this was true in the times of the Talmud. The times of the Talmud, there were great people. They were spiritual giants. Therefore, they can switch. Every day, they can switch in a minute. Before prayer, they feel contriteness of the heart, the brokenness of the heart. And they're ready, the next moment, they're ready for the joyful experience of prayer. He says, but us, Alter Rebbe is writing this over 200 years ago. Imagine today, multiply that us infinite times, many more times, that he says today, when it's not possible, we're not capable of switching gears to achieve a brokenness of the heart. And then the next moment, we're praying 
to be in a joyful frame of mind. How do you get from a broken frame of mind, a brokenness of heart, to a joyful state of mind? We can't make that transition. It's not humanly possible for us. We don't have that, that greatness to be able to do that. So the Alter Rebbe is going to say that in our day and age, the answer to this is that at least once a week, he says, it's going to say, once a week, Thursday night before Shabbos, at least before Shabbos, before you enter Shabbos, once a week, a person should sit down and do soul searching and make a calculation of a spiritual accounting and do the work, do the plowing and do the work and um, achieve that level of humility and contriteness and, and sense of inadequacy and sense of uh, that I'm not okay and things have to change. Once a week you can achieve that and the rest of the week just focus on the joy. This is the Rebbe wrote in his day and age. Today it's even more so. You know, you know, the Rebbe said, in our generation, if we're going to start focusing and emphasizing on the soul-searching and the uh, spiritual stock-taking, we may ne- never climb out of it. We may become so depressed. <laughs> you know, we don't do well with uh, negativity. We don't do well. It could become too depressing for us. You know, we don't do well with focusing on the negative. They were hardy souls. They were strong souls. They were warriors, spiritual warriors. So they, 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 can, they can take this bitter medicine. Today, we're a very delicate generation. Everything has to be very delicate and gentle. You can't, you can't, we can't handle that rough honesty, brutal honesty. We can't handle that brutal honesty. In the olden days, they welcomed brutal honesty. Today, we would fall apart. I mean, in the olden days, the Jewish communities used to pay. I think the only, only the Jewish people would pay a maggot, someone to rebuke them. Imagine, we would have on our payroll, the community would pay someone to give us honest feedback. Not to praise us and to sing our praise and to tap us on the back. You're oh, wonderful, you're great. You're, but to rebuke us. Give us a little honest feedback. We would pay them. They, they wanted brutal honesty. They can handle it. Someone told me in the congregation, he went on a date, and he tried this experiment. That, uh, he, told, he told her, listen, for, for this date, just be totally honest. Whatever's on your mind, just say whatever's on your mind. I think a date lasted for 30 seconds. <laughs> 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 We're not equipped to handle brutal honesty. We would be completely crushed. We would be completely uh, devastated. We just, we just are very weak. We have weak constitutions. You know, someone said in the olden days, their minds, their brains were made of uh, silk. They, you know, they had very fine brains. And their stomachs were made of stone. They can eat anything. I mean, the food that they ate then, you know, there was no uh, FDA and they didn't have, you know, people just ate and they were hardy. So today is just the opposite. We have stomachs made of silk. <laughs> we have rocks made of the heads made of stone. So we, we just can't handle 
brutal honesty. We just couldn't handle it. We were just fall apart. I mean, we were just too delicate. We were just too... We're midgets. We're spiritual midgets. That's the fact. You know, let's not get carried away with ourselves. We're, just, we're, spir- we're the spiritual midgets of all the generations. We're, the, we're nothing in comparison to them. So, Alter Rebbe said in his day and age that they couldn't handle this r- regimen of brutal honesty every morning before you daven and then switch to joy. And it's once a week. That's what we can handle. <laughs> that was 200 years ago. When, when the Jews were very spiritual and a very high level, great Hasidim, Hasidim of the Alter Rebbe. Today, we are like the spiritual midgets. So our generation doesn't do too well with bitterness and harshness and brutal honesty. We just couldn't handle it too well. But on the other hand, it has to exist on some level. We have to know <laughs> we can't live our whole life completely delusional. We're not doing anyone any favors, or at least of, uh, at least of them ourselves. We're not, we can't get anywhere. You can't change reality. There are certain things that will never change. You can't, a person who's living in delusions is going nowhere. You can't be a chassid, you can't be a real Jew, unless you have a little sense of honesty, a little sense of, you have some ability to do some soul searching, a little ability to look yourself in the mirror and see yourself honestly, a little sense of restlessness, a sense of that it's not okay and I have to change and uh, you know this so we have to take this with a grain of salt we can't but, but on some level we do have to internalize what he's teaching here he can't say today we, we're not connected to this and therefore we're just going to skip these chapters no it doesn't work that way the Talmud says there's no way in the world that you can begin to daven unless first you plow the field it's not going to happen and that doesn't change today, tomorrow, yesterday that's not going to change so on some level we have to incorporate and we do have to try to internalize this idea that once in a while as Alter Rebbe says elsewhere there are times that anyway we all suffer from the blues. Can't explain it inexplicably. You feel the blues. You just feel sad, down, homesick, whatever. You just feel, can't explain it. You know, moods come and go. We, we don't control it. So if you're ready, you're ready in that frame of mind. You're ready in a frame of mind. You're feeling in the blues. You're feeling down. So utilize those moments. Now, okay, so let me... Let me already be depressed or bitter about something that's real. Let me take this time, take a little stocking of my spiritual uh, stock and uh, a little, little soul searching and accounting, spiritual accounting, and see where I'm at and feel a little bitter about the fact that I, I'm so coarse and crass and I'm not growing and I'm not changing. And a little honesty and a little self-examination won't kill anyone. It hasn't killed anyone yet. So... so um, so we have to incorporate some of it. But essentially, the thrust in our generation, the Rebbe said, has to be with joy. With his light, there's no room for darkness. So instead of dealing directly with the darkness, you just add so much light that there's no room for darkness. When you're so busy with light, with his light, there's no room for darkness. You don't have to wrestle with the darkness. Or we're so busy, like the holidays, these high holidays, we were so busy. 
says between Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, you, no, you have no time to sin, even if you wanted to. I mean, between running around and buying the lulav in the asterisk, and running around and building your sukkah, and getting ready for Yom Tif, you only have four days. Even if you wanted to sin, you simply had no time. You were exhausted. At the end of the day, you were so exhausted. You had so much to do and so much to accomplish. So if you busy yourself and engage with so much good and learning and teaching and doing mitzvot and helping, and so automatically you won't have time for nonsense. The Kotsky Rebbe says, I don't want my chassidim not to sin. I don't want them to have time to sin. They're so busy and so occupied with doing good. Their minds are full. When your mind is full and your life is full, you're busy with light, there's no room for darkness. <coughs> So that is the option for our generation. That is the emphasis in our generation. Positive, joy, good. Not the focus on the, uh, the bitterness. Because frankly, it's an art. Introspection is an art. And honestly, most people in our generation are not equipped, <laughs> don't have this art. It's very difficult, it's not easy. Very, it's not easy to be able to go beyond your ego, to put your ego on hold. It's not easy. It's, a, it's an art. Meditation, it's an art. It's not, it's not simple. And you have to have a lot of zitzflesh, and you have, <laughs> you have to have a lot of stamina, and you have to have a lot of focus and concentration. And, uh, yeah, we don't have a great attention span today. I don't know, we're down to five seconds. Where, where are we up to? Mm -hmm. Two. Two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is, when something matters, we have all the zitzflesh in the world. We have all the attention span in the world. The most the ADD child can sit and watch a football game. Okay, maybe now people are not watching football anymore or whatever. Mm -hmm. They can watch a baseball game. They can watch for hours. No problem. Watch their, their favorite movie. They'll watch for hours. No problem. Talk to people about their finances, they can sit for hours. There's no ADD, there's no problem. But things that they, they don't value, they don't realize that they value, people have no zitzfulness, people have no attention spent, people have no patience, people don't have, you know, in the olden days, people can sit for hours and read without distraction and learn and study and focus and concentrate. People would daven for hours. Today it's almost, you can't see it, you can't find it. You know, if, we don't, if we valued, our life and valued our soul, of course we have the capacity. But it's just we are a very weak generation. It's just a fact. And a very fragile generation. Very, everything has to be with the Zeit and the Henschikas. Everything has to be approached with very silky gloves and gently. And so that's the reality. You, know, you can't fight City Hall. It's just the reality. You can't pretend otherwise. So, so the emphasis today shouldn't be so much on the bitterness. But nevertheless, this is a key ingredient, and it's an essential element. And we have to know that it exists, and somehow we have to internalize, incorporate it. And maybe when we feel anyway, we feel in the blues or down, we should utilize those moments to do a little introspection and try to go inward. The Rebbe would say many times, you know, just lock the door, just sit quietly and just, you know, just learn or, or do something... You know, we get so distracted today and everything is such a tumult and everything is so noisy and just close the door, lock the door, just sit with yourself and learn and, and or think. Or... So there is a time and a place for this, even in today's day and age, even in today's generation. But this is an essential ingredient.
In our brief generation, however, when not all are capable of turning their hearts instantly from one extreme to the other, from humility to joy, it is advised that Teshuva Ta'a be practiced earlier at Tifun Chazoit. This is an especially appropriate time for the spiritual stock taking, at least the humility of a broken and contrite heart, as noted. So it's many hours before prayer. So it's like, it's like a two different time period. The, the people would wake up, in the olden days, Jews would wake up at midnight. There was no obligation to, but the Jews couldn't sleep. They just would wake up at midnight and cry and lament on the destruction of the temple and their personal contribution to the destruction, the destruction of our inner temple. And then they would be up, continue uh, the rest of the night, study Torah, and then they would pray. So at least it was two separate time periods. So you had time to recover from the bitterness of the night and all the learning of the night, the rest of the night, and then you were able to pray with joy. And he, then he says, whoever... Whoever cannot do this nightly should maintain an absolute minimum of once every week for the Shabbat. It is familiar to the initiates in the mysteries of the Torah that Shabbat is of the order of Teshuvah Elah, Indeed, the very letters of the word Shabbat spell Tashav, you return, as in the phrase, you cause man to return. Shabbat, the letters itself, is Tashav, Teshuvah, but it's a higher form of Teshuvah. During the week, is a lower form of Teshuvah. You're dealing with negativity. On Shabbat, you're not engaged in anything mundane. It's prohibited. It's, it's, the whole Shabbat, the focus is, uh, is on holiness. So Shabbat is the ultimate return. A higher level of truva. It's a day of connection. Shabbat is a day of connection. Because what is Shabbat? A day of rest. What are you resting from exactly? Turning on a light switch is hard work. What am I resting from? Shabbat, you give your ego a rest. All week, six days a week, you're the mover and the shaker and the macher and you're doing and you're creating. Come Shabbat, step back. No creating. And take, give your ego a rest, a break. Take a day off. There's no ego, there's no eye, it's about Hashem. Hashem is the creator. You're celebrating the miracle of creation. You're, you're studying Torah, you're doing mitzvah, you're celebrating your family, your com- community, your Yiddishkeit. Shabbat, there's no labels, there's no titles. You're not a doctor, you're not a lawyer, you're not a millionaire. Leave your wallet at home. For most Americans, to walk in the street without a wallet is a, is, is a very traumatic experience. My whole identity is in my wallet. Every Shabbat, a Jew leaves his wallet at home. Shabbat, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not, no career. That's what I do, but it's not who I am. Shabbat, I return to who I am. This is what I am. I'm connecting. I come alive. This is teshuva, the higher level, and it's all done with joy. It's all about joy. It's a joyful, uplifting, inspiring experience. In order to get to Shabbat, you've got to do a preparation. I said earlier, you can't reach the higher level of teshuva unless first you do the lower level of teshuva to break the heart. So when do you do that? So that's Thursday night. He says, Thursday night, the night before Shabbat, then it's a time to take spiritual stock of yourself. Many people will be up all night Thursday night learning Torah all night. So it will be time to, to take spiritual, uh, do soul searching achieve that brokenness of heart, that bitterness, that the humility, that humbling of the heart, that openness to change and to grow, and that hunger. If you have no hunger, you know, you can, you can have French cuisine, but if there's no hunger, you can be sitting in the best restaurant in the world, but if you're not hungry, it does nothing to you. To, to, to study Torah and do mitzvot, you have to have a hunger, a desire, a keen hunger. I need the Torah, I need the mitzvah, I want it, I'm hungry for it. 
That's the problem with today's education. We give our children the best education that money can buy, the best information, but there's no hunger. <laughs> there's no questions. If there's no hunger, it's worthless, it's meaningless. But imagine a person who has a hunger to know, a need to know. You're traveling to France the first time in your life. Ah, you want to learn French. Every, every word you hear, you're eating it up because I, I have a hunger for it. I need it. I want it. If you have no hunger, it's falling on deaf ears. So Teshuvah Elah means I'm studying Torah, I'm doing mitzvah, but I have a keen hunger and need and yearning for it. I want it. How do you create that hunger? First, you have to have that brokenness of heart. If you're so complacent, so smug and content and proud, I have no hunger. I'm okay. I'm good. It's just a chore and a pain. Oh, you have to do this and have this obligation, that obligation. But to feel that hunger, I can't wait to do a mitzvah. I can't wait to study Torah. I can't wait to daven, to experience it. That can only come with the brokenness of the heart. So that takes place on, on Thursday night. Then you can achieve Shabbos. Shabbat, all the worlds ascend to their source, and this too is the time of the ascent of the soul to its source, which constitutes the act of Teshuvah. So Teshuvah means to return back to the source. What happens on Shabbat? The divine energy that creates the world, with which God creates the world, every Shabbat, whatever happened the first time Shabbat, happens again each and every week. Shabbat, we're not just commemorating an event that happened 5,778 years ago when God created the world on the sixth day, He created and the seventh day He rested. Every week it repeats itself. Just like the first Shabbat, the energy, the divine energy with which God creates the world, the divine energy returns back to its source, reconnects to its source. Every Shabbat, the divine energy reconnects with its source. That's the dynamics of Shabbos. That's the inner dynamics of Shabbos. And that happens every Shabbat. And so to our neshama, our soul, returns to its source, reconnects with its source, which is what Shuvah is about, to reconnect with Hashem. The prayers of Shabbat in particular, even more than the weekday prayers, are an act of Teshuvah. So if Shabbat itself is Teshuvah, prayer within Shabbat is like the ultimate level of Teshuvah. Because we said earlier that every prayer during the week even prayer during the week is really a time of teshuvah, love, the higher level of teshuvah. That's the theme of prayer. Your soul is reconnecting with Hashem. And that's true of a weekday prayer. Imagine a prayer of Shabbat, when the whole theme of Shabbat is teshuvah return. That's 24-1 on Shabbat. Imagine the prayer of Shabbat. That's the pinnacle, the peak moment when the soul reconnects and reconnects with Hashem. And that's why even business people who don't have time to spend time in prayer during the week because they're rushing to go, go to work. But on Shabbat, no one is rushing to go to work. Shabbat, it's imperative for them. Even more so than the Torah scholar who all week can spend more time in prayer. That on Shabbat, he should spend more time focusing on prayer, concentrating on prayer. Because this is really the whole theme of Shabbat. Connecting with Hashem and rejoicing in that connection and experiencing that, that, that connection. So he says, based on this, now we can understand the phrase, return to me if I have redeemed you. For since, as in the preceding phrase, I have erased your sins like a thick cloud, removing the sitra achra, and I have redeemed you from the evil, extraneous, forces to the arousal of supreme compassion, following the initiative taken by man below in his tshuva tata, as explained above, therefore return to me with tshuva iliyah. So now we understand, because it's two steps. So now that Hashem has erased your sins, which are like a cloud, 
it interferes. Sin is like static. It interferes. It doesn't allow the soul to sense and to feel that godly connection. It gets in the way. Ego gets in the way. It interferes. And if we do something wrong, it interferes. If we th- don't act Jewish, or we don't speak Jewish, and we don't think Jewish, it interferes. It creates a blockage, like a cloud that blocks the sun. It doesn't allow the sun to shine. But now that Hashem has removed this blockage, and He has redeemed us from the negative forces as a result of our contriteness and brokenheartedness and lower level of teshuva, cleansing, personal inner cleansing, so Hashem redeemed us, now we can move on to the ultimate. Now Now there's nothing interfering. Now there's nothing stopping you from returning to me, restoring the soul. Restoring the soul to its initial primal state, which is connected and seamless with Hashem, and one with Hashem, and unified with Hashem, and through Torah, and mitzvot, and, and, this, and this all comes about through prayer. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.